know, I dropped off the scene quite some years ago, deliberately. So, um, mostly because I didn't like, I still don't like the way Karate is going um, in the mainstream. So, I don't for a minute believe I can change the world, but I always believe I can change my world. So, um, oh, and that, that's 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 the name of the episode right there. Well, that's the way I it like is. That. So, um, rather than be surrounded by negativity as I see it, then just focus on the things that are important, and and then you'll you know you furnish your world with the things that that um, that help you along, and not you, you know you're not trapped in that quagmire arguing all the time about oh who's right, who's wrong, who did this, who said that, blah blah blah. It's so childish, you know, and I've been at it training for so long now. I've seen all this go round and round and round a half a dozen times, and it's it's the same every every five, ten years, people arguing. And, and it's actually enhanced now because of the internet, because it used to be that you had to wait a month or two months or whenever it was till the next magazine came out. Yeah. You read it and then you got all irate and wrote to the editor and oh, the hell the hell they don't know anything. And then another two months later that edit that letter was published and then you can't remember what you were upset about three months earlier anyway. Whereas now it's instant. Yeah. You see something now and everybody's on it, you know. So if you want that you know, if you want to spend your time in that world, that's fine, but I don't want to. So, um, what was the question? <laughs> Sorry. Well, well, that, I, think, I think that I think it gives us a good starting point, don't you? I think that's a great starting point. On that note, hello and welcome to Conversations on Karate. I'm Sue. I'm Greg. And we're joined today by Sensei Mike Clark, joining us from Australia. Welcome, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for asking me. Pleasure. <laughs> it's, uh, it's wonderful to speak to you. Um, introduced to us by our friend James Hatch. James Hatch, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, we were just having this amazing conversation before we remembered to do your introduction <laughs> about the immediacy of people arguing about, about karate on the internet. <laughs> yeah. But this will be just a conversation, not an argument. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like me to tell people who I am or what I did or something? Absolutely. Or how tell, tell us a little bit about you, where where you came from, and how you've come to be where you are, Mike. Okay, so I was born in Dublin in 1955. My family moved to Manchester when I was about three, three or four years old. Um, so I grew up in Manchester. That's why the accent is where it is. Um. I started training uh, when I was 18, so actually January 1974, I started training karate. Um, And like most people, I think, you know, they don't know there's different schools of karate or anything. So you go to the nearest karate or the one your friends are going to or something like that. So I just, that's what I did. So I started training in uh, Shitoryu, so Shukokai, um, Tanihashitoryu. So I 
did that training there for about 10 years and um, started to get fed up with it. Not fed up with the training or the idea of karate, but it's just, I just found the whole thing too stylized. And um, how can I say, it's getting, for me, it was getting more like choreography than anything else. Mm. And, and there was an emphasis on tournaments and stuff like that. And I did a lot of tournaments and um, for a while. And um, I was on the, um, the national squad, the English squad for Shukakai for a couple of years. And it was, it was good. We did had tournaments all around England and Europe and stuff. And um, um, it was all right. But, it was, it, you know, I never confused Kumite with fighting because, of, um, you know, I had a history before I came to karate where I was doing a lot of fighting, like real fighting. Mm. And um, so that, that resulted in me ending up in prison for being so violent. Um, I had a, a long series of arrests and charges over a couple of years for that. In fact, one day I was in, I was in court twice in the same day for two different things. <laughs> and yeah, I saw the magistrate on the, on the morning he gave me a fine of whatever the fine was and blow me down if I'm not there first thing after lunch in front of the same magistrate for a totally different thing that I'd done while I was on bail for the first one. Yeah. So that was like a scene from a, a really bad sitcom. <laughs> you know, the, mag the magistrate looks up and he looks at me and I can see it in his face. Don't I know you? Have <laughs> I seen you before? And he couldn't believe it was. It couldn't believe it was the the kid he'd been talking to only about three or four hours earlier, and telling <laughs> telling him how lucky he wasn't. He was that he wasn't being you know going away, getting sent down. Oh god. Anyway, I just I managed to dodge that bullet, but of course I didn't learn my lesson because that's the way I was back then, and um, and so my behavior carried on and you know I don't know how long later but then I ended up in the crown court and then that was getting sent down for two years for GBH, ABH, whatever. Mm. Um, yeah and so then I came to karate after that because that was uh, 73 and um, just when Bruce Lee movies were out so I missed all of that because in those days, if you were locked away, you were locked away. You didn't mm. know what was going on in the outside world. There was no phones and TV and, you know, stuff like that. So it was when I got out that my friends were, had all got into karate or kung fu or so, something. And so I kind of just went along with, you know, my best friend at the time said, why don't you come along? So I, I just went along to see what it was all about. Didn't mm -hmm. really think it was going to amount to much but then it did you know I saw something and I thought well this could be good this could be handy helpful it's, upskilling is you know? that what broke the cycle Mike sorry is that what broke the cycle uh eventually well I already knew you know from you know, there's a certain sound to prison gates when they lock behind you mm. and and you're on the other side of the wall not the street side mm. and if you've got more than two brain cells working it would tell you 
this is not the place to be. Yeah. And, um, but I needed it. I definitely need, that was the kind of lesson I needed. Otherwise I would have gone on to murder somebody, kill somebody quite easily. Didn't care. So I needed that lesson. If mm. you, if, if, if this is the way you want to spend your existence, carry on doing what you're doing or change. So I was lucky in karate that I found something that appealed to my nature. So I could, I could, um, not that I was, uh, you know, not that I'm a lazy person by nature, you know, I'll just take it easy and yeah, we'll do it tomorrow. Um, but I was pushed to, you know, work hard mm. and then, um, I'm not a team player either. So I don't like depending on the guy next to me to do his bit so that I can move on. You know what I mean? Um, so I like the fact that karate was down to you. You just, mm. you, you could do it. You, you know, if you could take it on board and put the practice in, then you, you know, you could make progress and it, it didn't, if the other guy was, was lazy well that's fine he was lazy and nothing to do with you so i like that aspect of it i like the physicality of it um i got to like the discipline of it um but i never saw the fighting even though it was quite rough and ready back in the 70s you know mm. there's nothing to come back from training with your flat nose and you know lucky i kept all my teeth but um some of the guys didn't over time, this is not every night, you know. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Over time, when it came to sparring, mm. it was sparring. It was like, yeah, right, okay. Boom, in. So, cracked ribs, very commonplace. Black eyes, absolutely. They were every night. Somebody got, you know, fat lips, absolutely. You know, um, so all that. It was great. It was rough and tumble, but it, was, it still wasn't real to me. Because mm. nobody was getting arrested. Nobody was going out in an ambulance. So it wasn't real fighting as far as I'm concerned, as rough as it got at, at times. And um, But I just, I did like it. I liked the discipline of it. And I liked the slowly but surely, you know, the, the um, psychology of it all started to drift into me. And um, I started to see a way that I could navigate life without smashing people to a pulp because of the mm. upset or something. Sounds awful, doesn't it? But, you know. Um, but, you know, and I think this is even now one of the problems. I mean, I'll get back to that, but one of the problems now is that a lot of people think that, you know, karate equates to being able to fight out on the street, and I just don't believe it. I just don't believe it because... You have to have a willingness to fight. And knowing yeah. great techniques will not mean a thing if the guy opposite you could care less. And that's just See, not I, the way around it. <laughs> yeah, I like that. That actually, that's one one thing you said. That's one thing I've I've noticed that a lot of martial artists, not just karate people, but martial artists in general, don't take into account very much. Is that because you know, of experience, Greg? I think most, yeah, yeah, most people yeah, teaching yeah. karate last time they had a fight was in third year at school. Mm. 
in the yeah. playground. It's not really a fight, is it? No, absolutely <laughs> not. So when, when you really started, obviously, if you, you had all that experience outside fighting, do you, do you think that helped your, your karate development in terms of making that distinction between real fighting and, and, and karate kumite straight away? Yeah, but- well, it did because I never recognised Kumite. I saw it as like you know, it, like as they say, it was um, it was quite rough and ready back then. Yeah. You know, um, and it was it was it, you know, it was quite common. Like not every night, but quite common for people to be go home limping and sore and wrapping their ribs up and stuff like that. And not just where I was training, that was the norm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? That was the way it was. There were no children in the dojo. There were very few uh, women in the dojo that I can remember. Certainly no children. Mm. Young, youngest people would probably be about 17, 18 or something, yeah. you know, maybe like that. But mo- most, of, most of the people were in their 20s, 30s, that kind of age. Mm. And, um, and everybody was drunk on wanting to be Bruce Lee. That's what, you know, that was the <laughs> They all, they all wanted to, but I think again because they didn't have the the actual experience, they were they were basing they were basing their ideas on what they were watching in in the movies, mm. and that just seemed like a bit silly to me. But that you know, I was, you know, as 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 the philosophy of karate kind of, I described it to Les, I think, and it's true. It's like I describe it as snow, you know, it's like snowflakes. Each individual snowflake is nothing. You know, it, it disappears with your breath. But it, if you leave snow to fall for a couple of hours, it's heavy enough to, you know, drop a building. Mm. Knock trees over, everything. So for me, the the philosophy of karate f- fell on me like snowflakes. You know, I, did, did, I didn't just wake up one morning and go, ba-bam, I'm a nice guy now, I'll, you know just be nice they didn't that it takes time for things to um percolate in and um yeah so i did eventually grow up and and realize that for me karate is not about learning how to fight it was about learning how not to fight Mm. you know don't don't fight and that and and i've said it for years and years that i'm actually a much worse I have been for years a much worse fighter than I used to be because now I I actually care about not hurting a person mm. or even more than that, not wanting the consequences that come, the legal consequences that come after. Yeah. Where Before, I could care less. I wasn't interested in any mm. of it, you know. So that makes you far more dangerous, I, I think. For sure, for sure, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, that's one thing I think we don't. Yeah, it's, it's definitely not spoken about enough, is it? Is that that no. that meant that mentality of of not caring about consequences? Yeah. We always kind of tend to come to things from our own perspective. You see, that's the thing, and that's why I'm talking about that willingness to fight. Yeah, you have to have that willingness to fight, and if you don't have that. You can be strong and fit and, you know, have great techniques and wonderful karate. But, yeah, 
it's just not going to do you much good. And, you know, if, if it does do you any good, the guy you, was face, you were facing wasn't much of a threat anyway. Because mm. I'm talking about the kind of people who don't care, who won't stand in front of you and have a, you know, a boxing match or whatever you want to, you know, whatever. They won't fight fair. This idea mm. that such a thing as a fair fight, mm. it doesn't come into their thinking. They'll they'll wait for you to be getting into your car and put half a head house brick on their head mm. you know, and 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 then laugh at you and and you know, it's just nothing to do with fairness i don't know how that's how that can i don't know where people get the jump from karate training to that yeah i don't know maybe some people have managed it but i've you know in all the years i've been involved with karate i've never seen anybody who does any kind of classical karate training or or martial arts training for that matter be able to take it and and put it into that situation mm. well i always i always think back to jeff thompson's stuff when it comes down to that you know he, he had that very same sort of realization it took you know a couple couple nights on the doors to realize actually 99 percent of what i'm learning here is is not going to help me Mm. It's that that super small one percent, maybe one good punch that if I get it right might help me some of the time. Yeah, and um, I think the willingness too to throw that punch because yeah. you throw that punch and that guy falls down and bashes the back of his head on a step and now he's dead. Are you prepared to face now what's coming because you mm. threw that punch because he was drunk and he wanted to get in the nightclub or something? And you know, I met someone years ago, and they always used they they would tell me, "Look, don't don't do anything you're not prepared to do the time for." Mm. So, you know, if if you're going to beat somebody to a pulp, throw them into traffic under a bus, or what I used to like to do, throw them through shop windows. Well, fine, but there is a consequence for that. Yeah. You know, and if you're not, if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to accept what's coming because of what you did, don't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, but people don't do that. They live in this kind of fantasy world of, um, oh, somebody's going to fight me in the street. They want my, you know, pocket money or something or whatever it is. And and then I'll do whatever I do. And, mm. and, we'll and, and then I'll walk off and they'll walk off. And <laughs> No, I don't think so. Mm. so. And hence why I've never taught self-defense courses ever, because mm. I just don't believe. I don't know how, how you can teach that willingness. That's the problem. That's the, my sticking point. I know lots of moves. But, you know, if you're frightened to death, your, move, your, your great moves are not much good to you, you know. If, yeah. If he's knocked you out he's with his first punch. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know. I think when it, when it comes, my my kind of view on self defense has changed a lot. It's kind of ninety percent non physical. You know, making sure you're not in in those areas in the first place. You know, yeah. where you don't. I, th I think you know. How do you teach that? You line everybody up in a church hall and say, right, we're going to do self defense. Right, we're all at the bus stop, and there's a nasty guy coming down the street. Right, run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. How do you teach that? Yeah. <laughs> so everyone says, no, no, somebody grabs you by the neck and then you do this and then they grab you by the head or they 
do this and then you do that. And it's, you know, it, it presupposes that any plan whatsoever for a fight is going gonna, is gonna to unfold. Mm. You know, as, as Mike Tyson fa- famously said, everyone's got a plan till you get that first punch in the face. face. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's even true. Napoleon, even Napoleon knew it. Napoleon said, "You know, all the all the battle plans don't mean anything once you engage the enemy. All your battle plans have gone because you never know how the enemy's gonna come back at you. You've got your idea of what you'd like to do, you know, but but you've no idea, no control of what's gonna come back at you. And then, and so to you know, from my way of thinking." to practice fighting with that with that um, premise that he'll do this, I'll do that, they do this, I do that. Well, you know, I've, I've never been in a fight that's allowed me that clarity of mind and, and, and given me the time to work these things out. Because mm. most, most fights are over in about five or six seconds yeah and it, and if they go on any longer than that it's just somebody enjoying themselves yeah you know so um yeah it, it, the reality of that is just doesn't so we get back to this thing about well what's the point of training karate well it depends on what you what you think you're fighting if you think you're fighting somebody else i don't see much point in training in karate at all but if you're fighting yourself if you're fighting your own character, and and by that I mean fighting to bring it into balance, mm-hmm. to, to pull your extremes into a balance, then that's a fight worth taking, you know, undertaking, I think. So for me, that's that's karate, and that's you know, I guess budo, the difference between budo and bujutsu or, mm. or you know, uh, kyogi karate, sports karate, or whatever. It's a difference, and I, um, I was lucky enough that I was able to. I don't. I'm not even sure how or when it happened. Um, it wasn't some great epiphany or anything, but uh, it slowly turned around that I realised, oh, all my effort has to be turned in at me actually, not not the you know not the other person. Mm. So because until I get me right, it, you know, it really doesn't matter. I get, nothing changes until I get yeah. me, until I get me right. So, so that's that's what happened. Yeah. And so, um, to get back to the training, gee, that was a long time ago. You asked that question, Sue. So, Is that's uh, all right. That's that's the beauty of long conversations. Isn't yeah. It? Just go where they go. <laughs> well, what what happened then after that ten years with uh, Storio? Do you, do you guys are you guys aware of Tomiyama Sensei in England? Keiji Tomiyama Sensei lives in, he lives just outside Leicester. He's been living in England for a long time, so. I'm um, sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry the, the name rings a bell, oh. but then a lot of the names sound very similar to me. So I could yeah. be thinking of somebody else. So after my first teacher, Mr. Vickers, who's, who's now passed away, um, I became a student of Tomiyama Sensei when he moved to England because his wife's English, so he moved to England. Um, and uh, but then uh, you know, like I say, after a few years, I um, I just couldn't. It, it was making less and less sense to me to keep doing this stuff and investing in. And I was training a lot, you know. I was training maybe um, 
five nights a week through the week and then three weekends a month going traveling down from Manchester to he had a dojo in Nottingham um so I was training a lot and um and I had friends who did Shotokan in the KGB I had friends who uh, who did Gojuru Okinawan Gojuru and um and we used to train on the Sundays I were I, I wasn't in Nottingham. They used to train every Sunday, but on the Sundays I wasn't going to Nottingham. I would go to their dojo in Manchester, uh, to the Shotkan dojo in Manchester. After the Sunday morning class was finished, then my friends from Goju would come and I'd be there, and then my friends from Shotkan dojo, and then we would spend another couple of hours training together, and um, and that's how I got. Uh, I used to go over to Terry O'Neill's dojo in Liverpool every Wednesday night for he, he had a black belt class on a Wednesday mm. night, so I would go over there with with my uh, short camp friends every Wednesday. So that's how I got to know Terry. Um, and then my goju friends said, "Oh, do you know who he gonna sensei? He gonna Mario sensei." Yeah. So they said he was coming to England on a tour. And uh, doing seminars, so I went to Liverpool for like a two-day seminar, two or three-day seminar, one weekend. That's when I met Higona Sensei. I didn't meet him, but, you know, that's when I first saw him. Yeah. But I was in a room with like 300 other people, so <laughs> you know, I, I wasn't really training with him. I was just training in the same room. Yeah. Um, and um, But what I saw really kind of captured my imagination, just really. I thought, wow, this is... This is the kind of karate I wanted to do, not not all these exact angles and measuring mm. things and weight ratios and, you know, all this stuff. Um, so, yeah, so that really caught my imagination. And then about 18 months later, I was knocking on his door in Okinawa, at the dojo door. And that's mm -hmm. how I got into Gojuru, and that was in 1984. Um, so exactly 10 years from, I started in January uh, 74, and in February the 2nd, 84, I was in Okinawa wow. for the first time. So, so what, what was it What was it about the, the, the Gojuru that kind of made you want to go over there? And uh, Well, you know, uh, we have to be careful a little bit about when we talk about you know Gojuru or like Shotokan or something styles like that because there's so much yeah 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 you know under that banner yeah um and so not all Gojuru is the same not all Shotokan is the same or Shotori yeah, yeah. is the same but anyway what what attracted me to it was it seemed less stylized mm -hmm. um Higona Sensei was doing things like poking his thumb in people's eyes grabbing them by the ears grabbing them by the hair strangling them sticking fingers down and you know your super sternal notch and then behind your ear and he was doing it pinching i'd never seen anything like that in Storyu. it was all mm. very nice clean punching and whatever yeah so i liked that a lot it was still it was still a little stylized and everything but it was a lot closer to because you have to you know you, you have to coordinate your training right otherwise mm. it's just um but still, the, the idea, the thinking behind why, you know, the kind of techniques you use and why you do it and how you do it and the, 
the ranges that you move in on and what you're trying to do and the fact that you use multiple things at the same time. So you're not just using your hands, but you're also doing things down below with your knees or your feet, you know, to destabilize them. Mm. Things like that. That all seemed, you know, I thought, wow, this is a lot closer to what I want to do. Mm. So that really set the seed for me to, because up until then, I, I kind of knew I didn't want to keep going with Storyu. But I hadn't, you know, my friends, my friends doing Shotokan, it was just another kind of Storyu for me. It yeah. was marching up and down, you know. It was, it, I mean, it was different physically, you know, bigger movements and stuff, but it was the same template. Mm-hmm. And uh, even my friends who were doing Okinawa and Gojuru, you know, they were very good, good guys, but they were still only like Shodan, Nidan, something like that. So I wasn't seeing Gojuru, you know, at its best, mm. if you know what I mean. Simply because they they were educated in it enough, so I couldn't see. But when I saw Igona Sensei training, then I was looking at it, you know, as it as it should be. So I'm thinking, oh, right, okay, this is what... I'd like to do. I'd like to yeah. pursue that. So, how do you do that? Um, again, like I say, I'm not a team player. I don't just join in organizations. I've, I've never really saw, once I understood what organizations were, I never really saw the need for them. Mm. You know, a bit like the royal family. What's the point? You know, unless you're a royalist, then there's a lot. <laughs> And then, yeah, so that was it. So I went to Okinawa. I had the opportunity just came about. Um, and it was, you know, I, I, I guess I could have, at that time, Tommy Amasensi had moved back to Japan because of some family things. And he was obliged to go back and help the family business, being the eldest son. So he was busy. He was in Osaka. And he was busy doing all that. And I, I I could have gone there, I suppose, but I really did feel like I'd be imposing on him. Mm. And um, and I just thought, you know what, I'll go to Okinawa and see this this Mr. Higona, who I trained with in Liverpool the year before. And he'd come out on the BBC, you know, that way of the warrior. Yeah, yeah. Documentary. That had come out between when I trained with him in Liverpool and uh, that came out maybe about six, eight, ten months later. And that spurred me on. Oh, there's the man I trained with. Wow. Yeah. Wow. This is where he lives. Right. Okay. I'm going. And that was that. So we went. So that's how come I went. And, um, and yeah, I've been doing Gojuru ever since. He got this. He's, he, he's kind of what I think, when most people think of a, of a karate practitioner, he's kind of what they imagine, to be honest. He seems like such a friendly, nice guy. <laughs> he's always mm-hmm. smiling. But then when you see him work technique, he's just like, Jesus. Yeah. Well, he, he represents Okinawan karate very well. Mm. He's not always a nice guy. I can tell you that. Okay. Personal experience. <laughs> that's, not, you know, that's not to put him down. No. Who, who amongst us are always nice? Right, well, absolutely, yeah. You know, and now I've seen you first thing in the morning, Greg. I know you're not more than that. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but yes, he he, he typifies uh, Okinawan karate as opposed to Japanese karate, you know. Mm. Uh, My experience of Japanese karate that first 10 years, and Tomiyama Sensei is a very down-to-earth, 
guy. Um, he's still very Japanese, even though he's lived in England for well over 30 years. But um, he's a very approachable, down-to-earth, nice person. But, you know, my, my experience of a lot of Japanese sensei, certainly back then, was that they weren't. Mm. That you had to treat them like they were gods or something. Mm. They walked on water and they walked in the room and everyone had to fall into hushed reverence. And, ooh, you know, don't talk to sensei, you know. Don't cast a shadow on his feet, otherwise you die. You know, all that kind of stuff. Whereas in Okinawa, it's not like that. It's, no. look, if you're, if you're stupid enough to, to act towards one of your seniors with, you know, in ignorance, well, then everyone just pities you because you're stupid. Mm. No, nobody hits you with a shinai or beats you up or shouts at you. They just say, oh, poor guy, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't know how to behave properly. Mm. And they just treat you like that. And it's a totally different way. So Higona Sensei personifies that way of training really hard. Um, but, you know, with a smile on your face. Because at the end of the day, it's just training. It's just training. That's all it is. There's 8 billion of us on the planet. and There's like 50 million supposed to be doing karate. And out of those 50 million, there's probably about... One million who are over the age of eight, because most most of the people I see photographs of karate clubs, they're all like kindergartens. Mm. But you know, if you actually keep whittling it down to how many adult people are pursuing karate, there's very, it's a very small number. Mm. So why anybody gets excited about it is a bit, you know, excited as in the excited in as in you know who's doing it right and who's doing it wrong and. Mm. all that kind of stuff you know why anybody wants to grasp authority of this stuff over other people again i just don't understand where that's coming from it seems such a a childish mentality to me just get on and do it do you want to do it yeah right do it yeah Simple. you don't want to do it don't do it you want to mess about with it mess about with it mm. whatever you want to do it's like it's a, it doesn't belong to anybody but the, the problem is people want to mess about with it and play with it, and then they want to say, no, but no, I'm, I'm one of the serious people, like that guy, like Higona Sensei, you know. So that's where it, that's where it um, falls down, I think, for mm. me. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, the uh, Okinawan training is uh, very different from the Japanese approach. So, so I'm guessing that, that being over there, with Higurin is where you kind of got introduced to the Hojo Undo stuff. It was, yeah. I, uh, before that, I'd only ever really heard of the Makiwara, mm. although I'd never seen anybody. We didn't have a Makiwara in the dojo I trained in. I started training in. Um, I made a Maki, I made my first Makiwara when I was like a yellow belt or something, because something I read out of a Kokushin book that I bought. You know, because back in those days, it's funny, I've gone full circle now. Back in those days, I thought karate was all just karate, right? Mm -hmm. Whatever name you called it, it was all just karate. Mm -hmm. Then I got, oh, no, it's Shitoryu and Gojuru and Shotokan and blah, blah, blah. And now, nearly 50 years later, I just think karate is karate again. Mm -hmm. But now I think that for different reasons than I did when I was a beginner. Because when I was a beginner, it was ignorance. Now now I, yeah. I, I know better. So, um, so yeah, that was where I got introduced to Hojo Undo and uh, all the kigu, the tools. 
So Hojiwundo, you know, it's just like an umbrella kind of thing. It's just, it just means, um, um, you know, extra training or, or outside your normal karate kind of additional training, supplementary training. So Hojiwundo can be running, skipping, swimming, you know, rock climbing, anything, anything. It doesn't have to be the jars and the chishi and the vacuum. Yeah, yeah. It can be anything. But it should be in some way in your mind. It should be related to your karate. Mm. So, because sometimes people think of all those tools as like karate weight training or something. And it's not, you know, everything you do with all those tools and the way you manipulate them, excuse me, or strike them has to do with you trying to find something that you want to use in your karate, you know, to enhance your punching ability or your blocking ability or the, mm -hmm. the you know your your connection with the ground when you make a posture stance or something so you shouldn't just be moving these things around there's a there's there's a way to do it that will yeah, uh, yeah. you know isolate certain muscles or tendons or something in your body and put them under stress so that you build them you condition them and um and of course, the idea with all that is that eventually you, you, you build, you build yourself to a state where you can. You've got more than you need, if you know what I mean. You know, it, it's hard to describe it, but you know, it, if you, if somebody kicks you and it and and it and they only have to kick you like six and it really hurts and it stops you, you you, you need to train your legs so that you can take a ten kick. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So that if they kick their hardest kick and it's only six. It's well within your ability to take it. So yeah. you just take it. So it's that kind of conditioning. But you, of course, you can't do that just physically because it, there's a mental component to it. Because when you first hit the makiwara, it hurts. When you first lift these weights, they're too heavy. You know, all, all sorts of challenges come. So that's where the mental aspect comes in and say, OK, you know, <laughs> If you're, you can either say, well, what I'll do is make it lighter and then I can look like I'm doing it. <laughs> well, what good does that do you? So you say, mm. no, no. I'll, I'll rise to the challenge. And this is, you know, getting back to, again, it's linked to that thing about fighting for me. Who are you fighting? If I'm doing karate to learn how to fight you guys, well, I don't know anything about you. You might be brilliant. You know, two seconds into the fight, I'm on my back. Mm. So, because I, I've, there's a, it's a complete unknown. I don't know anything about me because I've never challenged, I've never looked and challenged myself. I don't know anything about you. So, because I've never met you, and now we have the fight, and now, oh, where did all that, how did that happen? But if I challenge, if I get to know me, I've got 50% down already. I know at least what I'm capable of. Yeah. You see what I mean? I know mm -hmm. I can take that blow. I know what my mentality is when, when things go wrong, I know I know it for sure. It's not an opinion. This is this is evidence. I, I've got evidence because I've spent lots and lots of time being in that position. So I know that for sure. That if you smash me in the face, it won't be nice, but it won't change anything for me. And that's not an opinion. That's that's real because I've been smashed in the face lots of times. Mm. So, you know, but a lot of people, 
based there. I call it faith-based training. You know, people, they, they've got faith in their ability, which is great until somebody rips their throat out. And then, yeah. You know. Yes. So yeah, I think it sounds terrible. Gets, yeah. Sorry, sorry. I, I, sorry, I was... so no, go on, sorry. No, I was just I was just going to drop in there the the phrase that people are used around us a lot lately, which is that you've got to test what you've what you've done. You know, there's no yeah. point just trying out techniques. You've got to test them and drill them and you, put them. How under do pressure. you test it? Well, I'm just just doing drills. No, not you. I'm not. I'm not. I'm oh, not just... shouting at you. <laughs> but I mean, how do, how do we test this thing other than go down the local Hell's Angel oh, place yeah. and call them all a load of pufters? <laughs> now now you got now you're pressure testing yeah right? yeah because if you're doing if you're pressure testing in your dojo there's nobody in your dojo wants to send you to the hospital no that's very true you know, yeah i mean it's, it's, it, it can be realistic to... it can be it can never be real it, it can and, be and yeah as, as you know you can you can make it very very unpleasant you know, you, you can do that, I agree. You can make it very, very unpleasant for someone. But at the end of the day, it's safe. You've only got to look at, you know, the cage fighting, mixed martial arts, all that stuff. It's brutal, absolutely brutal. But it's still safe. Mm -hmm. Because when somebody gets, you know, somebody taps out or they get their arm broken or something like that, the referee's in there, boom, done straight away. So it's not nice if it goes wrong. But it's safe. Well, karate isn't, you know, karate, my understanding of karate is that it, it's there for when there are no safeguards. Mm. And so we get to that point, like what you said, Greg, about, well, actually, self-defense is probably 95% don't be there. Because if it actually comes to trading blows, mm. you better have something more than faith in your technique to mm. back you when the other guy doesn't care what happens. Yeah. And that's the difference. And that's why I say that's why I'm a worse fighter and have been for decades than I was when I was younger because I started to not want to particularly hurt them, you know, and I didn't want the police coming around the house anymore and I, all that stuff. So as soon as you factor all those things in, well, that makes you less effective. Mm. And I know a lot of people teach self-defense uh, with with all the best intentions in the world, and I know they do. They're not they're not deliberately out to. I mean, I think some people are deliberately out to rip people off. They know they're useless, but they still take their money anyway. Um, but I think there's a lot of people out there who really have good intentions about self-defense and believe that a you know a little bit of knowledge is better than nothing. But I I don't. I don't hold that because I, I think it's possible to know enough to believe you know what you're doing. But if you if you pursue it further, you get to know enough to know that you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. One, one, one of my main issues with the whole self-defense thing is, is like you said, it's, it's, it kind of breathes false confidence in people. You know, you get you get people, like you said, that don't know any better and they learn how to defend against someone grabbing their wrist or grabbing their hair and they go, oh, I'm, I'm sorted now. Anyone, just like, yes. watch out, I'm, I'm fine. It's like, well, no, you're not. You're not fine. You might be fine in the in the dojo, but you're not fine. If but even if you take it rough, you know, even if, if you say, you know, you, um, 
I don't know because, like I said, I don't I don't uh, pay that much attention to what's going on in the martial arts world at all. Um, but you know, I know through correspondence with various people over the years, they have these like um, almost like military things or something, military self defensey street wisey things and all that lot. You know, where where it's supposed to be real and everything. You know, but I I still just don't. I don't understand why anybody, and unless they're ignorant of reality, why they why they mistake that for for you know being helpful. And it's just from my point of view, it's just not helpful. So I would you know, like I say, karate should be about not fighting. In Okinawa, that's what they say. Mm. The aim is not to win. The aim is not is to not lose. Not lose, yeah. And that's a huge mental difference in in thinking there you know so if i if i if i don't have arguments with you we're not likely to ever get into a fight so mm -hmm. i try and make it so we don't have arguments then but if i if, if all i want to do is prove a point and let you know that how wrong you are and you want to do the same back to me it, you you know it's not hard to see where that's going so mm. And that's why Okinawan people are, are so friendly and jolly and all the rest of it. Because in their head, even though they're able to, you know, do whatever they want to do, they just don't see the need to do it. They don't, you know, they just they much more feel sorry for you than than um, want to prove a point, want to prove you wrong. Mm. Whereas I, I, I felt in general that with Japanese karate and you know many Japanese instructors that I've met over the years, they want to prove how right they are. And and because most Westerners were educated in karate through Japanese people, not Okinawan people, yeah. many, many, many Westerners want to prove how right they are. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and, and you see the rise now where you go to a training thing or... You know, the, it's the guy out the front's an entertainer. He's not, he's not, it's all about him and what he knows and watch this, watch me, look how clever I am. Mm -hmm. And and the amount of training, you might be there for three hours and you'd be lucky to get 45 minutes training in. Mm -hmm. All the rest all the rest of it's watching the guy out the front. Yeah. And everyone goes, oh, what a great guy. He was fabulous. I'd sooner, yeah. I'd sooner <laughs> go to the watch. I'd, you know, I'd sooner what, what, go to a variety show and watch some com comedians or something, get entertained that way, you know. So, but maybe that's a generational thing. <laughs> you know, I, re I realise I'm getting long in the tooth now. So. <laughs> I don't think so. I think we've heard quite, a f you know, we've heard other people say that, you know, mm. the value, in, the value in, in those classes is extremely limited. Yeah. You know, that there's the sort of you're going to venerate somebody who's going to correct your punch rather than go to somebody and spend an hour learning how to punch hard on a bag or a mm. makiwara mm. and actually doing it so that it connects, you know, which is which is more valuable. Exactly. Well, you know, my my um, my last sensei, Miyazato Ichi-sensei, uh, before he died, um, he would always say, look, I can't teach you anything. Uh, you know, he was one of Chojin Miyagi-sensei's senior students. Mm. 
So he's telling me he can't teach me anything. Because, <laughs> but he would qualify that by saying, "Look, you have to discover karate. You can't be taught it. You can be shown what to do, and then you have to be left alone to do it." So you'll either find it or you won't find it. Mm. And, you know, him telling you over and over and over and over again, if you're not capable of finding it, it doesn't matter how many times they, he's told you or shows you or explains it to you or whatever it is. If it's not in you to find what it is that you need, then it's just not there. That's your limit. And everybody has a limit. So it's not brown belt or black belt or green belt or something. Your limit is you. Mm. And you, of course, you, we all start off. You know, I think somebody, some famous psychologist or something, said that um, when people believe they're a hundred percent spent, can't do anything more, they've spent about twenty percent of what they're capable of. Mm. So. You know, the Okinawan way is like, well, you've got to do that because I, there's, it's just not possible for me to do it. Mm. You see what I mean? I cannot, yeah. I cannot get you to have good karate, no matter what I do mm. or what I say or what I explain to you or demonstrate. You have to find it. I can show mm. you stuff, point you in the right direction, and mm. now go and do it. So consequently, uh, uh, the Jundokan Dojo, um, where I go in Okinawa, there were only formal classes for the beginners, the Q grades uh, up to about second or third down, something like that. It was, it was, it was a bit more formal, especially below, Q grades was really quite formal. Yeah. Uh, Shodan, Nidan, Sandan was, you know, you'd, you'd probably spend half your time in the dojo with somebody helping you, and the other half working on what you want, and then after Yondan. It's really, you know, if you, if you still need your hand held, you know, you've missed the point here. You shouldn't, you shouldn't really be young done at all. If you, yeah, yeah. If you still, you know, so it was a very grown up in that way. It was a very grown up uh, way of doing it. I, I, I was asked once about the difference, and I said it's a bit like, look, when you start school, you start junior school. There's thirty of you all in rows in the class and the teachers at the front and they spend their hour telling you everything tell you what to do how to do it everything mm -hmm. and that's what you do at school but then when you go to university you're on your own right you're in the company of others but you're on your own and you go to your tutorials and you got you've got your tutors and you've got your professors or whatever and you touch base with them and they give you your work but you've got to go off and do it and if you don't do it, well, then you don't, you know, pass your exams. If you don't pass your exams, you don't get your degree. Yeah, yeah. So karate is a bit, you know, in Okinawa, they look at karate a bit more like that university model rather than the junior school model. Unfortunately, in the West, everyone got introduced to the junior school model. And they've just got really good at being in junior school. Mm. Yeah, that's, I, I, like you said, I think it's, it has its place to start with but it's, if you never evolve from that it just becomes very very stale yeah well first gear in a car has its place it, it oh, exactly yeah. going but you, you know you drive to bristol in first gear see what happens yeah 
So, you know, we, we, of course we need that. When you come in as a blank page, you need that uh, scaffolding around you and you need that direction and all yeah. that. Just like when you're a child, you need your parents to, you know, to bring you up and raise you and feed you and all the rest of it. But, you know, you shouldn't still be a kid when you're 35 years old. Yeah. You shouldn't still, you know, you still, you should have moved on by then. So I think that's the same with karate. But there's a, uh, you know, there's a, especially with organizations and especially with people who make a, their living from karate and all that kind of um, approach to it, there is an absolute necessity to have students and followers because otherwise how do they live? Mm. You know, you can't you can't be a sensei if you've got no students because you because you're not earning any money, right? That's why everyone's got into a pickle over the COVID stuff. And it's all panic and everything. And straight away, when all that happened, I thought, well, so where's your self-defense now? Where's your notion of self-defense that you've painted yourself into a corner whereby something's happened, come out of left field. And now you're in trouble financially because you put your financial security in the hands of other people and you didn't look after yourself. Mm. So that might sound quite harsh, but that's the way I, I see it. Oh, God, that's good. I, I, it, I love it, that thought. Wow. It makes a lot of sense when you put it. So it goes, goes to that point of, you know, self-defense is more than just stopping. Self-defense is looking you know? after your health. Yeah. Looking after, looking after your your work, you know whatever you do mm -hmm. for work, your home, your family, all yeah. of that self defence. Not finding yeah. some guy down a dark alley at three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. yeah. If that's your, you know, if that's all self defence is for you, you know, you need to wake up. It's this this sort of myopic vision of of uh, it plays into all that stupid macho male crap that people like, you know. They take their jackets off, but they keep their belts on. The belt was only there to keep your jacket closed. Yeah. <laughs> you know, That's very true. It's like, well, hang on, you've got your jacket off. I get that. What's the belt for? Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm a fifth down. Yeah, well, sorry. I'd never have known if you didn't have that black belt on, I'd have thought your cratty was crap. You know what I mean? It's just that it's not it's not grown up enough for me karate anymore. That's why I don't have anything to do with it really. So even my I, uh, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. You know, and and um, just the longer you stay in it, the more you see it over and over again. You know, the 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 the, the, the local heroes and the you know demigods and all that. They all fall off their perch. They get fat. They die of things like over smoking and over drinking, you know, but they're karate men. They're talking about the importance of breath and they're chain smokers. <laughs> How does that work? Yeah. You know, or they, they, you know, they can't keep their appendages in their trousers and they're talking about <laughs> self-control, you know, having the self-control to be at one with the universe when some guy wants to take, take your head off but they can't stop sniffing around young students. Yeah. What is that yeah. all about? Or they can't yeah. stop picking fights on the internet and, and telling people they're stupid idiots <laughs> for not believing what you believe, you know. <laughs> so, you know, you have to you have to wonder, don't you? And then we get back to that whole thing again. Well, look, you just cannot change the world. 
So you have to change your world. And it doesn't have to be furnished with people and organizations and stuff. It just doesn't. The world goes on really well without it. You know, yeah. you can still, as long as, as long as you've got your health and you're, you know, and you've got a bit of space, you can practice your karate, you can do your karate. When COVID goes away, you can train with other people. But even then, when, when you train with other people, you're still, you should still be training on your own. You're just in the company of, this is what I tell the, you know, I don't have many students. I have six, they're not my students. I don't even like that terminology. There's six karateka who've all been training for a long, long time, but for some reason they look to me for a bit of guidance. That's it. So, That's nice. but they, you know, even when we get together, you're still training on your own. When you partner up, it's still, it's not you against him. It's like when he keeps kicking me like that, what's going on with me that he keeps kicking me? Mm. Not, not, oh, well, you know, he's like 10 years younger than me and he's got a fabulous, great kick. I don't care about his kick. I care about why he's still getting his kick into my stomach. That's what mm -hmm. I care about. And that is only going to get fixed when I do something, when I learn to change what I'm doing. Because if I don't change, I keep getting kicked. Yeah. So now there's the fight. The fight is still you. You're fighting you, not your partner, not your training partner. So when when um, in Okinawa they, they certainly the, my experience of trading with it when when we bow to each other we say onagashimas which means you know please help please mm. please help work with me and what that means is when you attack me don't pull your fist this short of my face mm -hmm. don't don't put don't break my nose if you can help it you know don't take my teeth out if you can help it. But please, you know, please attack me properly so that I can learn to defend myself. You know, I can learn. And when I mean defend myself, I don't mean, you know, fighting back. But I'm talking about the um, the stuff that makes karate work. So your your appreciation of timing and distance and, and angles that you set up, all that stuff. That if you don't have a good appreciation of that, you can you can have the strongest technique in the world. But you're never putting yourself in the right place to deliver it well. Yeah. Or you're always half a second too late, or something like that. So, if you, you know, if you want your karate to work, you you have to have a, a a very very comfortable appreciation of setting up angles, setting up distance, timing, you know, all that stuff. Mm. If you don't have that, you can have the strongest techniques in the world, and they don't really do anything because it's like having an atom bomb, right? But you don't have a rocket to put it on. So who are you going to blow up? Mm. You know what I mean? It's in your cellar. Mm. You've, you've really got, you can't do anything with it, right? You know, saying, oh, yeah, but I've got an atom bomb. You know, I could take a whole country out. It's great, but it's in your cellar, mate. You can't do anything with it. <laughs> so you can, have the best, you can have the best punch in the world. You see yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You can put yourself in the right place. So your punch misses or your kick misses or whatever it is that you've, that, that you've, You've developed, you know, you, you're punching Makiwara and you're breaking them all the time. That's great because the Makiwara never moved. But the other guy will move mm. and you can't keep with him because you haven't yeah. taught yourself 
You haven't learned how to block, for instance. You haven't learned how to move your head out of the way because Shotokan doesn't let you move your head around. <laughs> well, that's it. You know, I mean, a lot of people block with their chin. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the Japanese term for that is. Probably something like baka, you know, stupid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. But anyway, yeah. So, but that's, you know, the, at the end of the day, my, my approach to training is isn't a good business model so it's not you know i can't sell this stuff i not that i want to but i can, you know if you said to somebody right come and train with me and this is what i want you to do work it out on your own that's hang on why am i why am i paying you all this money to work it out on on my own well because that's the way you learn it so it's a crap business model you have to discover your karate i really seriously believe that no, it makes a lot of sense, to be honest, yeah. If you can't, you can't, with the best will in the world. You know, Miyazato says he used to say there was lots of people came in and out of his dojo. When he was alive, the dojo opened at 10 o'clock in the morning, it closed at 10 o'clock at night. So he just stayed open all day. People came in and out according to, you know, their work schedule or whatever was going on in their in their lives. Um and, and they were there to train, and there'd be seniors there, and if they were struggling, the senior might amble over and, and help them out for 10 minutes or 15 minutes at the most, lead them alone to get on with it. If, if a person didn't train, they just got left alone. Yeah. Well, it's like when I go to the gym, or when I could go to the gym when the gym was open. You know, I don't, I don't walk into the gym and immediately get a trainer to walk around with me and show me how to do everything. But if I need someone, I know someone's there. Yeah. You yeah. Know? And so you find out, right, you, you get a feel for your training rather than just knowledge for it. Yeah. You know, like when you first go, I imagine, I don't know, I've never been to a gym really, but not, not that Western kind of gym that you're talking about. But I imagine if you go there, there's a new piece of machinery and you don't know what it is, that one, of, one of the trainers might come up and give you a run through on how it works and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, that's just knowledge. That's just knowing about it. But after yeah. you've been going there for six months or a year, you can walk into that machine and bump and get and get the best out of it because now you know that machine. And that's probably another downfall with the modern approach to karate is that people have misunderstand the difference between knowing about something and knowing something. Mm. So they, they go to their courses and their seminars and they, they get introduced to hundreds of different things techniques you know bunkai which is a bit of a silly thing but anyway um they get introduced to all this stuff so but then they can't remember half of it and they mix up this bit with that bit when they go home and then they, you know so that's the difference between knowing about it because they were introduced to it but they don't know it mm. and the, the only way you could know something is to experience it mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's just an opinion. And you, you know, karate based on opinion, and to my way of thinking, isn't worth much. You know, um, so you need to know it. And the only way you know it is by training it. Train it, train it, train yourself to do it. And if you, if you go to the dojo three times a week for 45 minutes each time, that, you know, or an hour each time or something, 
That's three hours a week. Don't know how long it's going to take for anything to get in there. You know what I mean? It's people say I've had that. People say I'm at the dojo three times a week, and I say, "Great, how long do you stay there?" Well, I'm there for like an hour and a half, two hours each time. Okay, give me the benefit of the doubt. That's six hours a week. Great. So, what do you think passes by in all that time that you know you're not there? You're only there for six hours. What about all the stuff that passes by when you're not there to pick it up? Mm. which is most of the time. So if you're not training, if you're not, if your head's not engaged with karate, and when I say training, you don't have to be in the dojo going hell for leather. No. I do more kata in the kitchen than I do in the dojo. Every, you know, my, we're English. Well, I'm Irish, but my wife's English from Essex. She drinks tea. You know when you say tea totally, she is totally tea. Right. <laughs> You just set up an intravenous drip, really. Woman after my own heart. <laughs> well, so I look, my our poor kettle, uh, uh, the life expectancy of a kettle in our house is about six weeks. After that, it's burnt out because it never, it's on all the time. So whenever I put the kettle on to make a cup of tea, I do a kettle in the kitchen while the kettle's boiling. It takes a minute or two or something for the kettle to boil. So I do a kata. What's your so kata of choice the of, for the kettle? Well, sorry? What's your kata of choice? Well, I have mine. On, I like to know oh, what do the you? kettles are. <laughs> well, it, it, it depends on what mood I'm in. But, um, but you know, th- th- at the end of the day, if you counted all that up, I don't keep score, obviously, I don't keep count, but if you counted all that up, how many times you did a kata in a week... You've done hundreds and hundreds of kata. Mm. But if I'm waiting, you know, if I'm waiting to go back to the dojo on Thursday night for my hour and a half or whatever it is, and then some guy's going to tell me what to do for that hour and a half, hopefully I'll get to spend two minutes doing that kata or five minutes or whatever it is doing that kata. How long is it going to take me to draw anything out of that kata? Mm. It's just not going to happen. Never going to happen. No, no, you're right. That's where you go back and you show it. You show what you've been practicing. You show how you've been figuring it out, and then you get feedback on you how have to you've be been engaged practicing. With it, right? Yeah, you have to be so... engaged with it. If you want to see a shooting star, you have to stand out at night and spend a lot of time looking up at the sky. Mm. Otherwise, you're not going to see one. They're happening all the time. The shooting stars everywhere, you know, but nobody sees them because they don't go out there looking for them. Yeah, and it's the same with your karate. If you want to get a feel for your karate, then you have to be engaged with it quite a lot. Not, you know, not uh, once or twice a week for an hour or two. Once or twice a week, you you know that just doesn't make any sense. And um, again, you know, Okinawa karate is part of their culture. It's just it's not it's not a martial art kind of thing like it is. No. Um, you know, it's just a part of their culture. People, people like the Jundokan where I go is what they call a machi dojo, which is like a neighborhood dojo. So it's it, it, it's there's it's the neighborhood. The neighborhood kids come in there after school, wreck the place, and go out, you know, <laughs> and, and drift off again. And then and then you know you get people come in after work on the way home from work, or you get people who've gone home first and got changed and then they come for the last hour or two or whatever it is and then you've got 
people who are working nights are there in the afternoon and and it's just a natural part of what what they do mm. so compare that with you know how how it's transmitted elsewhere and it really is a diff you know it's a different it's a different experience altogether and and again we get back to that whole thing is you get your understanding from your experience so you could you know like say now you know sue you tell me something about what it is to be a woman and i say yeah i know what you mean well i don't know what you mean because i can't know what you mean mm. because i'm not a woman mm. i've got a feminine side <laughs> but you know the i I don't know. I don't. I, how can I ever know what it's like to be a woman? Another woman might know what you mean. Yeah. But, so that's the same with karate. You know, it, if if you don't if you don't pursue it in a certain way, and I don't mean the right way or the wrong way, but if you don't pursue it wholeheartedly daily, then you you never get to an understanding of it. You get to a different understanding. You get to the you know because your experience is different. So if you if you go to karate two or three times a week for 10 years, 15 years, whatever it is, you arrive at a certain understanding. If you've had karate in your daily life for 10 or 15 years, your karate, your understanding of karate will be a very different thing. Mm. It just is. It's not magic. It just is. So um, I don't. I just don't think people realise that because especially since karate's become, you know, become a business and uh, um, it's, you can't sell that stuff. There's not, there's not enough opportunities for people to make money out of it. So they, they have to come up with things like, like gradings, like affiliation, mm. recognition. That's, that's my favourite, recognition. Yeah. You know, get your black belt here and everyone in Japan will recognise you. It's kind of <laughs> cute. It's cute, really, isn't it? You know, it's a nice idea. So you get so you get off at Tokyo Airport and walk around with your belt going, remember me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I recognize you. Yeah. And then, and then they take you away in the in the in a van and drive you off, you know. People in the white coats take you away. Yeah. But you know, but but these are the you know points of income that people have, have done now. So they set themselves up as a, authorities and convince you that you need them. So they can have a living instead of going out working for a living. I mean, that's another thing. That, uh, there are there are examples like Higon Asensi, who's, who's always been a karate instructor, but he's he's um, very much the minor, in the minority in Okinawa. Most senior Okinawan sensei um, either work for a living or they retired. Yeah. So and and also you know look, I had a very 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 close relationship with. He gone and sensi for a little while. Kath and I used to babysit his son when we were there. Um, you know, he's not the best karate guy in Okinawa. Far from it. Even of his generation, mm -hmm. you know, he's probably the best known. But that's not the same thing. Yeah. You know, celebrity, celebrity, and you know, that's a different thing. So that's another confusion that people have in the West. They confuse celebrity with with skill and standing. Yeah, and we're definitely more into um. We we definitely get more excited by somebody's fame than yeah. than somebody's well, you, um. 
deep deep skill or knowledge i, I yeah. think as a gen generalizing obviously but yeah mm. we we definitely are attracted to that well you look at like you, you bring it back to to martial arts again you look at like conor mcgregor everyone who doesn't really <laughs> know know about you know mma and martial arts they go oh he's the best he's the best who's that khabib guy i don't know who he is he's rubbish yeah. and then he wants to fight and you go well actually you know he's the best known but is he the yeah. best no another yeah. black irishman yeah <laughs> i don't know where it, it must be something in the water in ireland or something <laughs> But you remember, you remember uh, Ronda Rousey? Was that her name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, absolutely untouchable, absolutely untouchable, until that other lady got in, got in the in there with her and hadn't heard that story, and that fight didn't last very long. No, no. It so didn't. you know, um, I, I you know, celebrity is something that other people give you uh, to start with, and then you, if you're an idiot. You start believing it's real, mm. so you actually start believing that yeah, I am special, I am you know, I am good, I do deserve all this adulation. It's a powerful drug, yeah, you know, yeah. but but that doesn't mean you have to succumb to it, you know. Yeah, very good, very so, right. But but that's what people do because it's easy. It's easy, right? If nobody's ever saying no to you, it's it's easy to just take it then. Mm. Oh, yeah. Okay. I think and you then, then come to life. believe that everything that you do is right. Yeah. As opposed to trying to do what's right. You simply mm. believe that whatever you do is right because yeah. people always tell you it is. Well, because you never, it's never tested, right? It's never contradicted. I sometimes, before I walked away from it all, you know, I... Uh, at one point, I I was um, supplying magazine articles to nine different uh, magazines around the world all at the same time, and um, quite busy. But I, you know, I met an awful lot of celebrity sensei and and then other sensei who who were kind of well known in their group, but not well known outside and yeah. stuff like that. And um, you know, a lot of the celebrity. Some of them were nice people. Quite a lot of them were not nice people. And, um, you know, when you actually saw them in the flesh, when the cameras were off them kind of thing. Really? Nice people. And the amount of times I've been asked been asked to turn my recorder off so they could tell me the truth off, off the record. You know, you think, well, if it's the truth, put it on the record. Mm. You know? But, yeah, so... You, I, I always felt disappointed when that happened because I always felt like they were, there was a part of me felt like they were trying to impress me, which they were, but for the wrong reason. Like I was impressed, not for the reason they thought they were impressing me. I was impressed the opposite way. Um, but also, you know, that it was, it was tied into that power thing again. Look, I'm, go I'm going to let you in on something, you know, and, I, and I'm supposed to be ever so grateful now. Mm. It, that doesn't sit well with me. So not not if you're then standing in public as a, as an example of being something, you know, special because you've trained yourself and all the rest of it doesn't doesn't work. You know, it doesn't work for me that kind of stuff. So yeah. So again, another reason why not to be involved with it. You know, and and. 
especially since Miyazato Sensei uh, died, he's been dead like over 20 years now. Um, mm. You know, I just don't. He, he was such a. Uh, he's done. I had, I've had four. I've trained with lots of people over the years, you know, but it's just training with people. Like we've all done that, right? Yeah. We've yeah. Trained somewhere and blah, blah, blah. But we don't really train with them. We're just in the same room mm. for a while. But. You know, I've, I've had four teachers over the years, that, who, people who I consider were my sensei, Mr. Vickers, who, who, who passed away, my first teacher, then Tommy Amasensei, who's still alive, and he has students over here. And before COVID, he would come over here every May. I would go and train with him and go have lunch and all that lot. So um, the fact that I don't, I'm not a student of his anymore doesn't, doesn't really matter. Um, I still want to train with him. He's still got great karate and everything. I don't want to do it, but... Um, and I couldn't do all that. I couldn't do all that organization stuff um, mm. that they're involved with. Um, and then there was Higona Sensei, and then uh, Miyazato Ichi Sensei. So before I met Miyazato Sensei, I was quite often corrected and, you know, explained to nicely that, you know, are oh, you doing that wrong or, you know, you do it like this or you do it like that, which is fine until they change it, you know, a year later or something, and then it gets changed. <laughs> uh, and eighteen months later it gets changed again and, and all under the banner of progress. We're making progress. Until you until, until you do it for eight years and you find out you're back doing the stuff you used to do like eight years previous, you know. Mm -hmm. So you've progressed yourself. It's a bit like a dog chasing its tail, you know, making progress. So but um, but Miyazato Sensei wasn't like that. He just asked, he would ask, do you know something? Like, do you know this kata? And like an idiot, you'd say yes. And then he'd say, show me. And then he'd do it. And then he'd go, oh, and walk off. <laughs> what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, you know what the answer was, right? You didn't know it. Yeah. He didn't have to say you're doing that wrong. He didn't have to say anything. He just go, oh, you do it like that. Okay. And then he'll leave you with it. He might come back like the next day or two days later. He said, show me this thing from that kata. He'd do it and he'd go, oh, okay. Have you ever tried doing it like this? This, you know, try it like this for a minute. And then you so you do it. And then and then he'd go, okay. Then he'd walk off and leave you with it. And then, he, you know, you come back again and you go, let's have a look at that. And you do it. And if, you were, if you'd gone back to your old way, you'd go, oh, all right. You'd never get shown anything about it ever again. Mm. What's the point? What would, be the, what would be the point of his wasting his life on you when you, can, when you haven't got it in you to do something? Mm. But again, you can't sell that stuff. Can you? You can't can't charge big money. I would go there, you know, I would go there every year for like three weeks. The first time I'd go, I'd walk in his office on the first visit to the dojo, I'd say hello and have a chat and catch up about whatever. And then I would give him his trade the training fee in an envelope. And it was always the same, five thousand yen. It was five thousand yen if I was going to be there for two days or two years, it was still going to be 5,000 yen. 
At the end of the first week, he's probably spent about 30,000 yen on me, taking me out for lunches or buying me food or sending me. They used to, I don't know what it is. You turn up at the dojo and then I train, I usually train twice, training in the morning on my own and um, then go back for the evening when, when I knew lots of the seniors would be there. So I'd go back in the evening and then when, when I finished, when I decided I had enough, I'd be going, get, get, go get changed and get, get showered, get changed and then come out and he'd call me in, in his office and he'd give me like two or three big shopping bags full of food. You know, send, send me home with food like, like I hadn't eaten. He's like your granddad. <laughs> oh, you know yeah. what I mean? It's just unbelievable stuff like that. He would do like that. That it just um, so I, you know, it was real karate kid stuff. Really, mm. it really was that karate kid stuff. Yeah. Um, but the thing was, he didn't do that with everybody. He did. He did it with plenty of other people, not just me. Don't don't get me wrong. I, you know, I I I told Les this story. You know, in my dojo, I have I have three portraits on the showman. So he gone at Kanryo Sensei. And then Miyagi Chojin Sensei, and then Miyazato Sensei. So that's the lineage, you know. Yeah. And when people come, they ask who these pictures are, and so I point and say, "Well, this Higona Kanyo Sensei explain who he is. This is his student. You know, he's one of his senior students, Miyagi Chojin Sensei. This who he is. This is one of his senior students, uh, Miyazato Sensei." And I explain what the connection is there. I say, and I was his worst student. Because <laughs> that's about, you know, where it was. Because he's lots of students who are uh, really good. But I've seen him just, you know, be, be nice to people and just let them train because for whatever reason he formed in his head that he can't help them. I've seen him be quite nasty with people who, who can't take a hint. Mm. And um, you know everything in between, really. But his his general his general idea approach to karate was look, it's, it's a waste of time me telling you you're doing this wrong. He would he just leave you with it, and if I can't, you know, if you can't find it, you can't find it. That's your level. And he would talk to me about that as well. Don't, you know, like for my students, it's not it's not. Um, you know, it's not, it's not for me to produce wonderful students. They are, you know, I could just be a good example, the best example I can be. Excuse me. Well, welcome back from your phone conversation there, Mike. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's absolutely and, fine. And, and as I'm officially an old age pensioner now, <laughs> I, I can, I can, I can say without any shame whatsoever, I forgot what the hell I was talking about. So you have That's to remind. Completely okay. Um, I, I'm just dying to ask because you you did mention it earlier. Was it? It was Chuck, wasn't it? It was Sensei Chuck Merriman that you Chuck were. Merriman, you knew. Sensei, yeah. So and that was in the same dojo. He, yes, he yeah. Yes, uh, he um, he joined the. I'm not quite sure what year he joined the dojo, but I know one of my students was over there at the time. And they shared an apartment for a little while, quite close to the dojo. Um, there was there was a student at the dojo, the Jundo Camp, who owned an apartment literally 100 yards away from the dojo. 
and uh, he didn't he like he didn't live there, but he owned this apartment, mm. and so he would, if there was visiting students, he had an arrangement where they could stay there. You know, for, it, they paid they paid to do it, but it was cheap. Um, but it was very very convenient because it was a it's like a nine ten story building, and the ground floor is a big supermarket. And then all the other floors are apartment buildings. Uh, and it's very close to the dojo. And so people can shop and get food and all the rest of it and live in, live in an apartment. They can cook and all that. Um, so one, one of the students, Stuart, was staying there. And um, Merriman Sensi came on his first visit. And they, I think they shared that place for a week or two while they were while their visits kind of crossed over. But yes, he's a very funny guy. He's brilliant. He's very funny. He's got, he, he just got so many jokes up his sleeve. Mm. Yeah, you know. It was really it, ringing a bell when you were saying um, how you'd be, just, just a comment on your kata and then you'd be left to it. If he felt that you were worth it, you know, he would give you a few words and mm. see what you did with it and i just yeah. remember him because saying, he truly you know again he, he truly understood me since he truly understood that it was down to the person to discover the karate for themselves and and so his role in all of that was very limited so he could you know as i said he could talk to you he could give you an example he could give you a demonstration quite often Miyazato sensei you know because he was a he was old himself he would pull one of the juniors, you know, um, uh, you know, one of the guys maybe who's only in their twenties or something like second or third down or something like that, and get them to do it really well, and and say, now look, that you know, there's a there's a good example of it, rather than him trying to do it as an old man, you know. Mm. So he would he would do that, and so again, you know, even if you were older than the guy you've just seen demonstrate it. It, at least you've seen it done really well, and now you can now you can work towards it for yourself. It, it, the, you know, the suggestion wasn't, um, yeah, do it like this young guy. It was just like, well, there it is, done really well. Now, can you can you find something in you that makes an improvement and, and get something yeah. like that? You know, yeah. like the understanding that allows you to do something like that. Mm. So, um, yeah, so that was. I'm not surprised that um, I, I think I've only been in Okinawa once at the same time as Merriman Sensei. So um, his visits and mine didn't always click. Um, so I think the last time we were, or the only time we were there at the same time was in about 2013 or something. But then I saw him again the following year in Canada and um, in. Um, Montreal, and um, yeah, he's hilarious. <laughs> you know, I never saw him at his best, obviously, because he's quite old now and uh, has some health issues. But mm. um, I do remember him from um, the seventies, and when I was in England, you know, you'd you'd get anything that was on karate, you'd get so you'd, you'd buy. Black Belt magazine and all these anything you saw that had karate, you know, yeah, I love it. And I remember reading articles on him um, in things like Black Belt magazine and stuff back mm -hmm. in the seventies and eighties. 
when he was still, um, you know, I don't know what age he would have been on in his thirties or forties or something. Then I don't know, but he was he was in his prime anyway. He, he was a big he was a big man, you know. But again, I think he's uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but he, he got totally disillusioned with that whole Japanese approach to things and started to think, well, there must be something. There must be something more than just kick faster, go stronger. So he found he eventually found his way to it's funny, he found his way to the Jungle Camp by a similar route to me via uh, Higona Senses, which is uh, quite strange. But um anyway, yeah, he's 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 a really good good person to spend time with, you know. Mm. Yeah, he was an interesting guy, and uh, he told us some tremendous stories. I loved, I loved that, and that was talking to him and talking to you, and actually talking to um, Patrick McCarthy, have um, made the sense of you know Okinawa very real about what it's. Well, Patrick's living there. I know. Fantastic is that. Well, I think when he left Australia, he's lived in Australia for nearly thirty years. Yeah. And I think their plan always was to go back to Japan because his wife's Japanese. I think so. You know, I'm not speaking with any authority here, but I mm. just from what, you know, like James is in close contact with uh, Patrick and a few other people we know are in contact with him. And I think their plan, Patrick and his wife's plan was to retire in Japan, where his wife comes from, where they used to live quite a long time before they moved down to Australia. Mm. And then for some reason, they they went to America and I, and I don't think it worked out well from there. And with the COVID thing over there as well, is particularly bad. Mm. And that last guy who was driving the bus for him over there made Boris Johnson look sensible. So, <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that, I don't think that, uh, would have helped matters either. But anyway, so he's landed in Okinawa and I think he's settling in. He did, a, he, I don't know if you've seen it, you probably have. He, there's a thing online there that James Pankovich did with with Patrick where he interviewed him. I don't know if you've seen that. On, I haven't actually, no. I'll, I'll look for it though. Uh, probably February they did it, something like that. So it'll be on Facebook or something. Yeah, like yeah. And, um, yeah, so he's, I think he's settling in there now. So it's a nice place to be. So it makes sense for him to be there, doesn't it, really? Yeah, like when you think of Pat McCarthy and everything he's done for Okinawa and Karate, it kind of makes sense for him to, for him to settle there. Well, it, do, it does and it doesn't because, um, you know, the, the Okinawans have a certain, um, how can I say this, there's a... There's a there's a way of doing things in Okinawa. Mm. And um, Patrick's a very vibrant kind of a guy. You know, he's, he's not short of a word or two. <laughs> or six or seven. Or... Know, exactly. He's the kind of guy you get on the plane in Sydney, you know, the flight to London, and you find that you're sitting next to him and you sit down and you're putting your seatbelt on and you say hello how are you and that's all you've got to do the next minute you're getting off in a heat throw it's very true but you've been entertained it's not been boring yeah. we, um, so we uh, i don't know i hope it works out well for patrick sorry yeah. so, no 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 carry on 
I just hope it works out well for him. Um, I, I don't, you know, I'd, I, I wouldn't say it was a, um, a given though, because, um, you know, that's one of the things that I, I alluded to earlier when people have asked me to turn the recorder off while they tell me the truth. And, um, you know, the truth is that there are people in Okinawa, uh, Westerners, uh, you know, like James, for example. Um, there are a few others who live there. There's another English guy who lives there, does Shorin Rooms, lived there for quite a long time teaching. There's a there's a, a there's a, an Italian guy and a Spanish guy who lived there. And they've got dojos and stuff. And on the face of it, you know, in Jap in Japan they have a thing called uh, oh, what's it? What is it now? Forget my Japanese terminology. Um, Hone and Patamai, I think mm -hmm. it's called. Yeah, yeah, that's what James. Yeah, it's the public yeah. truth, public truth, and the private truth. Yeah, and um, that's alive and well. I can tell you that now without going into any further details. There's another guy there, a French guy called Miguel de Lutz, who uh, has done more for more for introducing Okinawan karate to the West than you know, apart from you know going out there doing it like people like Patrick do. But he's facilitated Westerners going to Okinawa far more than anyone else. He works for the Aust uh, the Okinawan government and um, he runs that, uh, he works at that new Karate Kaikan, that building that they built there. Now, Miguel was so helpful for me over the years, you know, getting me introductions because you, you can't just go to a dojo and knock on the door and say, hi, I'm Mike Clark from you know, whatever magazine I'd like to interview you. Mm. In the West, they'd break your arm and drag you in, you know, to get in on the magazine. That'd be it. But over there, it's like, if they, if you've not been introduced, it's like, well, who are you? Yeah. Well, why, am I, why am I talking to you? So there's a way to do things. So you have to get introductions and you have to, you know, go about things in a certain way, otherwise it, they just don't happen. And, um, and, Miguel did that, facilitated that a lot for me over the years. And, but still, you know, for all the work he's done and got publicity for Okinawan karate, there's still a lot of Okinawan senior karate teachers who don't like him. Really? And I don't know why, but he's the most unoffensive guy you've ever met. You know, he's a, re he's a really nice guy. He went there. He went there to go and train at uh, Higona Sensei's dojo. He was training back in in uh, his home, and when decided he'd go there to train at Higona Sensei's dojo, he, he trained there for a while. I'm not quite sure how how long he actually trained, but for some reason he decided he would stop stop training. But he loved Okinawa, he loved the culture, he loved everything about it. He's, he's never left. He's lived there for I don't know how long, nearly 30 years or something, mm. and. Um, yeah, but there's still some people who don't like him, and uh, but they'll never come out and say they don't like him. Yeah, uh, they'll never come out and say they don't like James. But I know there are people who don't like James because they've told me they don't. That's how I know it's not a rumor. They told me they don't. So what can you do with that? Mm. You know, because it's and so what I'm getting my point is, um, I'm not sure how Patrick will go in in. 
Okinawa. He may well have a lovely time there. Yeah. And everyone will be nice to him, I'm sure, because that's the way they are, nice. But whether that's the real, really what's going on, I don't know. Mm. But all I'm saying is I wouldn't be surprised if there's a duality going on there because that's the way, you know, that's the way they are. Yeah. So I remember years ago being told by somebody, it doesn't matter how long I train, I'll never get understand karate because I'm not Okinawan. You know, what do you do with that? You know, <laughs> just keep training, right? Yeah. So it's just one person's opinion. It's an opinion. It's they're just, you know, again, that's something we in the West do, I think, a lot. You know, oh, he's Japanese or he's Okinawan, mm. you know. So it's quite it's quite funny, even within even within the Jundokan, there's lots of foreigners joined the dojo since uh since he died. People who never would have got in the dojo if he was still alive. But anyway, in my opinion. Um but they're there, they're part of the Jundokan uh greater thing. It's not really an organization. Nobody there's no hierarchies, there's no chief instructory things yeah. and stuff like that. Everyone just basically looks after themselves. Everyone's more like a spoke on the wheel, if you know what I mean, mm. rather, than, rather than somewhere in a pyramid. Um, but, you know, there's people in the Junokan, they look at people, they look at my contemporaries in the Junokan, and it's all master this and sensey that. And then they look at me and go, hi, hi, Mike, how are you doing? I don't want any of that stuff. That's not the point. My point no, is, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a problem with them. Do you see what yeah. I mean? So if I was looking out, maybe I'd be master somebody as well <laughs> in their eyes. But, you know, the, this is this is the kind of uh, disconnect that people take as normal. And it's to me, it's, it's like not quite good enough. Yeah. You're, you're either going to adopt this stuff or you're not going to adopt it. Mm. You can't cherry pick it. You can't just do the bits you like. You can't. You can't leave that kick out in that cutter because you don't like. You don't. You know it hurts your hip or whatever. I don't. You know I don't believe that. I don't believe that at all. Karate is there for us to to come to. You know, as I said to Les, there's a huge difference between you know making karate your own and making your own karate. So it, yeah. If you're making karate your own, you're taking responsibility for it and you're molding it to your, to you, to your way of thinking and the way you live your life and, and, and your body, you know, your physical abilities and limits and everything. But you're, you're, you're accepting that challenge. Making your own karate, you don't have to accept any challenge. You just do the bits you like. Because mm. it's yours. Do what you want with it. It's not the same thing, right? It's not the same experience. Mm. One person one person's doing what they want, the other person's trying to do something. It's a totally different mentality, it's a totally different outcome, it's a totally different purpose, you know. And I think sometimes people don't have a sense of the Japanese called the uh, hoshin, the purpose. They don't know what the purpose is. You say, so why are you training? Mm, because um don't know they don't know why they train 
they they might have an idea like oh they want to you know feel safe walking through the park at midnight or mm. whatever it is you know but again we're back into that fantasy world again of children yeah so but there should be a real reason why you train why you why why do you invest so much of yourself in your into karate what do you expect all that investment to produce where where, where do you think you're going with this and the, if you don't have an understanding of that, it, I don't, you know, I can't see what the point is. You know, I, I just, it becomes just a mechanical, it's a habit. It's like, it's like people, you know, some people go to church every Sunday and, you know, and then they're horrible people Monday to Friday. But they go to church every Sunday, never, never miss a service. Yeah. But they're just not nice people. So you think, well, what's the point of going to church? You know, so it's the same. What's the point of going to the dojo if you're if you're really not trying to absorb this stuff? You know, and um, I I know I know its ability to help people have a good life, have a balanced life. So I don't know. What, well, I do know where I'd be if I didn't if I didn't uh, if I hadn't pursued karate all this time. I know exactly where I'd be. I don't know what prison it would be, but I know which, you know, I know what I'd be in one of them. You know, it can change, literally change your mind. It change the lens through which you view the world. And, um, but you have to delve deep. You have to not splashing around in the shallow. I, I, I'm not sure who it was. I think it was Christopher Columbus said, you know, you, you, if you want to discover the new worlds, you have to be brave enough to lose sight of the shore. You know, you have to sail off into the unknown and and have confidence in what you're going to do, not, not not want that safety net, which, which I'm not sure everybody involved in karate has got it in them to do. So, um, hence, you know, they want to do self-defense, but they don't want to get hurt. You know, well, how are you going to know if you can take a bang if nobody ever bangs you? You know, nobody ever smashes you and throws you to the floor and all the rest of it. How, how do you know? Go back to that faith thing again. Uh, you know, I want more out of life than just the belief that I am pretty good. My life is pretty good. I want, you know, I want proof of it. I want to be living a, 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 a well-balanced life. And I want to live it now. I want to be, you know, I don't want it miles away. I don't want to be always working for something. I don't want to be like a photographer trying to take a close-up of the horizon. You know what I mean? The horizon's always the horizon. It's always there. You can't, you, 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 your life has to be now, today. So if you're not it today, well, you need to do something. Yeah. I think, anyway, no, it sounds all a bit preach, I know, but, you know, this is probably what happens when you, you get into your 60s and you realise that most of your life's behind you, you, you start to realise how valuable it is that you don't waste it on crappy people and their opinions. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah, and spending time doing things that aren't helpful or that you don't enjoy or yeah. that you're not going to put your time and effort into. And That's that right. You know, and as, 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 you know, with training, with karate, I mean, knowing why you train, I mean, having a good idea. And, it, you know, it's, it's not like one way of training, one idea is better than the other one. 
It's just you being true to whatever your idea is. I mean, that's something Les, Les uh, Bunker said to me about, you know, how he got a lot of, you know, he got a lot of views or whatever, and people didn't like, you know, what he was doing, and people think he's this, that, and the other, and, you know, because he he, um, he doesn't follow the normal sort of way of doing things. But he's got an idea of what he wants to do with Crater. Mm. It's not my idea. You know, so it's not the way I'd pursue karate, but it's his idea, and he's and he's very true to it. You know that to me, that's that's far more valuable, and it obviously works for him. He's he's got a you know he's he his life is the way is the life he's living the life he wants to be living, mm. as opposed to the guy who's desperately backstabbing everybody so he can be the next chief instructor. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the kind of um, the internet, the internet stuff, you know, on on um, various forums or what have you, where somebody can come along and ask a perfectly sensible question about how do I do this, and two hundred people will jump in and tell them that they're wrong for questioning it, or they're wrong for thinking it, or they're wrong for feeling it, or yeah. you know, or it wasn't like that back in the seventies. You know, if you're not if you're not hard enough to get your teeth kicked in, then you shouldn't even be there. Which is something that happened the other day. <laughs> um, and it's just kind of like, but it's that kind of. I know what you mean. It's that relentless criticism of someone else just sort of going through an experience and trying to make sense of it. Well, it, it is. I I think um, again we're back onto this thing about putting so much weight on opinion that's not backed up by experience. And I think that's, you know, that's what in many ways creates the the mess because my opinion is different to your opinion, to different to Craig's opinion, different to somebody else's opinion. And mm. we're all trying to ram each other's opinion down each other's throat. But if you got your experience, you know, well, you've got your experience. You don't need the other person's opinion is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. I I know I know something because I've experienced it. I've gone through it. Yeah. So it'd be like me trying to explain. I think you know it'd be like me trying to explain to you what it's like in prison. Unless you've been in prison, you're not telling anyone. <laughs> you know, if you haven't been in prison, it does. How can I explain it to you? Mm. That, that gut-wrenching feeling that you live with from the moment your eyes wake up in the morning till you fall asleep at night. And sometimes, and I was lucky because I was in there for violence, for violent crimes, I was always in a cell on my own because they couldn't trust you not to bash somebody up in the middle of the night when you're locked up. Mm. So, But there were other people, if you were just in there because you were a thief or something, then they'd stick two or three thieves all in the same cell, you know, which must have been awful because those cells are seriously small. So to be in there on your own is, you know, one thing. To be in there with two others must must have been seriously awful. But, you know, that's your experience. I can't explain any of that to you because you haven't, you haven't been there. So no matter what I say and... However eloquently I might be able to say it, just it's nothing. It's just words. It's and that's what you know. I think that's that's what happens. Everybody has their opinion, and they say, "Yeah, well, well, we're all, we're, you know, we're all, um, we're all entitled to our opinions." 
and I, I guess you could argue that's true, but you're not entitled to express them unless you've got experience to back that opinion up. Otherwise, it's just noise pollution. Yeah, I think that maybe that's what's going on such a lot of the time with the the the, the current times is it does feel like noise pollution. It almost feels like um, my, my experience at the moment is that I have lots of questions and I tend to limit where I would ask them because I don't really want a whole bunch of people coming along telling me that I'm daft or being critical, you know, whether, well, you whether I would be or wouldn't be, you know, yeah, it puts you off. You've, it does, I agree, Sue. And what's happened is a lot of people now find themselves conditioned like that. Buddha would tell, you know, from my experience of Buddha would tell you to ask those questions anyway. Mm. You know, this ability yeah. to be defined by other people is, is a basic mistake. Yeah. And Buddha, if people pursued Buddha, they would, they would learn that for themselves through, through the lessons that that they would have to have to learn by studying Budo. And a lot of people in karate, you know, they, they think that you when you get too when you get too old and fat and lazy to do your, you know, to be the big I am sensei, you can just become some sort of Budo sage or something. You know, <laughs> that's not true. Because you can't do 20 or 30 years of sport karate, alpha male bullshit karate. And then suddenly become knowledgeable when you're 40 and fat and can't get your foot higher than your knee. Do you see what I mean? So that, but that's what happens. Yeah. That's what happens. People, people get too tired of that other stuff. And then they adopt this, oh, well, I'm doing Budo Karate. You, yeah, you see that a lot. It's, I, I find that a cop, a, such a cop out sometimes. Yeah. People use that, that term budo karate is such a an easy way out of things and they kind of miss the point of it well especially when they don't they're not an example of it well exactly yeah yeah you see what i mean it's like yeah, a pedophile yeah. priest yeah. You've got a pedophile <laughs> yeah priest you say well hang on a minute why are you still why are you still clinging to that that title of priest when mm. you're a pedophile yeah does what does one not knock the other one out Apparently not. Mm. You know, you can be a pedophile priest. So I remember years ago, well, I don't know, I, how long have you guys been training? Uh, I mean, how long have you been involved in karate? Uh, I've been involved for uh, over like 20, 20. Okay. How, so old, how old am I? 20 something years. <laughs> You're asking me, Craig, how yeah. old are you? <laughs> 20 something um, years. I've, yeah. been, I've only been in about five. That's good. Well, what I mean, I ask you that only because you would know who Harry Cook is, right? 100%. I know Harry Cook very well, yeah. Well, yeah. there you go. I got in an awful lot of trouble with my blog. Um, I still write a blog, but it's private. It's just yeah. for the students. But when it was when it was public blog, that used to get about 30,000 hits a month. And when... Uh, Harry Cook was discovered. I've got a mm. couple of guys who come to the dojo. They're, they're doctors of um, psychology. They're both PhD psychology people. And um, I remember when that when I uh, first heard about that, I can't remember, somebody emailed me from England and said, uh, you heard what's happened with Harry Cook. So, and then explained it all to me. So 
that evening in the dojo, I was talking after training with one of the guys, John, who's a, a like I say, a doctor of psychology. And I explained it all to him. I said, well, you know, but the, the only good thing I suppose you could say that came out of this is that he admitted to it and he didn't drag the poor girl through a court case. Mm. And John just put his head down and shook his head and he said, oh, no. And I said, well, why is that a bad thing? He said, well, it probably means there's a whole lot more. Because this is what they do. They take the, they try and get, once they've been caught, they try and get the spotlight off them as soon as possible. So I said, ah, well, how do you know there'd be more? He said, well, there might not be more, but I'm just, his experience told him, do you see what I mean? That's the mm. difference between being experienced yeah. and thinking you know what yeah, you're yeah, looking yeah. at. Yeah. I thought I knew what I was looking at. Oh, thank God he confessed and you're not going to put the young girl through a trial and blah, blah, blah. So I thought that was a good thing because mm. I only I only knew enough to know that I, I was right, but I didn't know enough to know I was wrong, Yeah. whereas yeah. John did. And John, yeah. the, as soon as John got that information, that to him said, oh, this is going to get worse. And sure enough, it did get worse, a lot worse. Mm. But, you know, I put, I put something out on the blog at that time about it because, like Harvey Weinstein, it was an open secret. I know people, I found out later, who knew about this all the time. Really? Yeah. Some some well-known names. Wow. So about Harry, and how was it one guy put it to me? Harry's latest misdemeanor. I always remember that. Harry's latest misdemeanor, he said. Wow. So anyway, I found all that out. I wrote something. I posted about it on the blog. Well, my email lit up. He's a fantastic guy. He's a great historian. I've got all these books. Uh, yeah, right. Got all that. Well, yeah, I've but got his book upstairs, but it doesn't mean... You, doesn't well, mean you know, yeah. this is what the real guy is. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's what that's what he does in the daylight hours. Yeah. This is the real guy. You know. But that, that, that hasn't done anything to change the balance in your head, apparently. Mm. You know what I mean? So there was all sorts of stuff went on like that. And, you know, I, I uh, emailed um, the guy in America, Chambers, who runs uh, that magazine, um, Masters Karate or something magazine he's got or whatever. And he was he's always plugging Harry's books. And I think he was published Harry's books. And um, I said, are you still going to publish his books now that you've got a paedophile on your list? And, he, you know, he just wrote me an email back, very dismissive about, about how his, you know, his research was still valid and blah, blah, blah. And I think he still puts his stuff out. You know, people have got no shame. They've got no nothing. Mm -hmm. I don't want to pillory Harry Cook. Do you know what I mean? I don't want to he, – he, he did what he did. He got sentenced to what he's sentenced. He'll get out in a... I don't know when he gets out. He get out and probably he's been in since uh, quite a while now. So he'll probably get out in a few years' time. It would just be interesting to see how much of the karate world rallies around him. You know. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that. Yeah, it will. Uh, that will be interesting to see. Well, I won't be surprised. You know, if he, he sets up a seminar tour on self-defense in prison how to fight off 
prison guards and people. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Because that's his angle, right? He'll have an angle that other people don't have. Yeah, yeah. So I'll probably get emails over this. If this goes out, I'll probably get emails over this, you know, leave our Harry alone. So uh, well, if yeah. if they if they if you do get emails, send them our way. We'll we'll expose who they are. <laughs> then you'll get emails. Oh, that's fine. Bring it. Yeah, no, no, but you know, I don't read half my emails sometimes, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah. But when I did magazine, when I did write magazine articles, um, you know, I did get a lot of uh, I got a lot of positive feedback as well, but I got a lot of negative feedback too because you can't help but upset people. Well, no, that's it. Yeah. You know, there's all, one of the students says that I'm uh, an unforgiving mirror. That's what he calls me. An unforgiving mirror. I love that. That's fantastic. Yeah, that, that might be the name of the title, actually. Yeah. Like so, yeah. Because they stand yeah, there with all the mirror. Yeah, write that down or you'll forget it. <laughs> no, that's, that's really true. Yeah, an unforgiving mirror is definitely what you need in Well, that's in, what Budo is. Training. It, yeah. Because Budo says, yeah, you know all that 50 things you just did perfectly well and it was great and you really struggled through it and, you, and, you, and you, know, you, you felt great about it. Yeah, well, there was that one thing that Budo says, yeah, go, go back and do that one thing. That one do. thing, go, go finish it, get it right, get it all right. You yeah. know, you can't, you can't say, yeah, but I did the 50 bits really great. It was only that one bit. Yeah. The, the one bit is the only bit that counts, not the 50, yeah. 50 bits you did. Yeah, it's just a little so, bit like the phrase, of, you know, you're only as strong as your weakest link kind of thing, yeah. isn't it? It's like if there's something really weak in the middle of it, that's the place that you need to develop. So I think that's that's the thing that's the thing that keeps me involved in karate is this because uh, I know if I don't if I don't keep polishing, you know, uh, well they call it senrenshin, you know, polishing your spirit. If it, if you don't keep polishing your spirit, it goes dull. Like Funakoshi Sensei said, you know, if you don't keep the kettle boiling, the water goes down, you know, yeah. so cracks a bit like that. So yeah. if you don't keep polishing your, your spirit, you know, through training, not through talking, not through reading, not through attending seminars and all this stuff, but going and training, just train, go to the dojo, go clear a space and train and practice yeah. and immerse yourself in whatever it is you're dealing with in your karate. And if you don't do that regularly, then you you end up, you know, mm. you end up in a, a a different place. I know I would end up in a mm. very different place. Yeah. So and and completely unable to take all the crap that that life continuously, you know, drops at, at your door and it never stops, right? I mean, yeah. That's the whole thing. And and um, one thing I have learned is that. You know, life is not about the stuff that happens to you, but it's about what you do with what happens to you. Yeah. I love if, that. You know, if you're, if you're going to start whinging and whining, oh, I was doing great till COVID came along and blah, blah, well, came along. It didn't care. Didn't care whether it upset your life or not. Mm. So what are you going to do about it? Mm. You know, do something with it. Don't. Don't endure it. Don't enjoy your life. You know, live your life. Yeah. Live it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's so, extremely wise advice there. It's wise, well, wise advice to to end on. I think. That's definitely yeah. wise that's advice very, to end on. I think so. Look at that. It's midnight here now. No. It, no, I was going to say. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. It, and not only that, it's September. 
<laughs> no, Midnight no, in look, September. I've talked too much as I always do, but like I, I said to Les, you know, in Ireland, you when you're a child, you get inoculated with gramophone needles, not not normal needles. So uh, we just that's the way Irish people are. Yeah. You know. So I apologize for anyone with a glass eye that's gone to sleep listening to this. Yeah. I've, I have a feeling that we lull many people off to sleep with our podcast. <laughs> yeah. Which is noticed, all good. Noticed, we have our place in the world. Yeah. yeah. Well, horses, right? It's your purpose. You know your purpose. You're a cure for insomnia. There we go. <laughs> get people like me. You get people like me on. That's it. You'll probably get loads of emails saying, thank you for that. I've yes, been struggling with my sleep for years and I tuned in. You had that guy on from Australia. I heard the first five minutes. I've never slept, never felt Superb. <laughs> Superb. That's wonderful. Well, out there, everybody, if you did sleep extremely well following this podcast, do let us know. <laughs> yeah, do let us know. When you wake Absolutely. up. We'll, yeah. we'll do well, a little Thank you very much, anyway. Thank you for the opportunity to have a chat. It was nice to meet you. And it'd, well. be, it'd, be, it'd be good to have you on again, though, because I think there's, I mean, we've obviously only touched the surface. We say this to all our guests. We've touched the surface in the first episode, and then there's mm. always plenty more to talk about. So if ever, you want, if, if ever we get the chance, we'd like to have you on again. We really would, if you'd um, like to. That would yeah. be amazing. Yeah, I mean, we've met now. In Okinawa, they say once you've met, you know, you're like your brother and sister. That's the way. They, or what they mean is once you've trained together, you know each other. Yeah. So we haven't actually trained together yet, but who knows? Well, maybe one day. One day. Maybe one day. Yeah, maybe one day. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks very much for the opportunity. Thanks. Stay you. well. Stay safe over there Thank in the UK. You too. Okay. And um, yeah, if you want to do it again, just let me know. And just let me know. Thank you for your time. Oh no, thank you. It's nice to meet you. Thank you. Take See care. You. Stay bye safe. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.